Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Uh, Pastor Timothy and I go back 12, 14, 15 years, a long time, and uh, he's a man of integrity. I've watched his ministry in several different locations. I've watched him show up and be faithful and be devoted and do the things he needs to do. One thing about your pastor is he's a consummate learner. He's constantly trying to grow his craft as a Christian, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a leader. If you've looked at his library, you'd understand that he is uh, serious about learning because he believes that you deserve the very best leadership that he can possibly provide. So I just want to give a shout out to you and tell you it's always an honor to be here. Love the worship of this house. Uh, It's not performance-driven. It's presence-driven, but with excellence. And that's very rare when you go around to other churches. And so I just want to just give you those acclamations as well. So I'm so excited to be here to be able to kick off this uh, St. Nick. You know, this I do my best work this this year, this time of year. You know, this is my season. And uh, I love to preach. I love to talk about the Word of God. I have this gift called divine curiosity. So when I read the Scripture, it's like, Why'd they say that? Why'd they do that? Why? How do we get here? And so I hope to share that with you a little bit today as we kick off this new sermon series around Christmas Reconnected. The title of my sermon today is A Dream Come True, and it's the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth who had been praying for a long time about having a baby. But as most things, the story is tied to a lot of other stories, and I'm going to give you a little bit of context, but before I do that... There are four Gospels that we have in the New Testament, and they're all the Gospels, the good news of Jesus Christ. But they were written by four different people. The Gospel of Matthew was written to Jews, and there's a lot of Old Testament uh, scripture in Matthew because he's trying to explain to the Jews that Jesus meets the requirements of the Messiah. And then Mark is writing to the Romans uh, who are in power at the time, and they talk about Jesus' authority over demons and miracles and things like that. Luke's writing to the Greeks. He's writing, they're culturally Greek at the time, and he's writing to those curious people about, uh, he raises the value of women and children, he he speaks to the Greek around curiosity and around culture. And then John's the gospel for everyone. John's gospel applies just to all ages, all people. In fact, um, back in the 1980s, there's a friend of mine. He's a good Baptist deacon. He's a Gideon. He loves the word of God. And, and back in the he tells me this story. Back in the 80s, the state of North Carolina went smoke-free, and that included the jails and the prisons. And so when they went smoke-free, we have a prison in, Hazel, in Hazelwood, over in Haywood County, and they went smoke-free, and the boys over there, they needed their smokes. I mean, you know, they needed so they started getting grass and leaves and herbs, anything they could dry out to smoke. So one day, Jimmy shows up at the prison and, as a Gideon, and they said, Jimmy, we've got to confess something to you. He said, what? So I've been smoking the New Testament and he said, what do you mean? He said, well, those little pages are perfect for rolling the smoke. He said, but out of respect for the good book, I at least read the page before I smoke the page. And he said, I smoked all of Matthew, all of Mark, and all of Luke, but John smoked me. 
He said, when I, I got to John, and when I got to John and started reading before I could smoke, the Word of God came alive, and I got saved. I smoked all of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John smoked me. I tell you that story because the Word of God has power to change your life. And I'm not hoping to entertain you today. I'm hoping to inspire you in one way to draw closer to the Lord and to live the dream that God's called you to live. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read chapters, verse 5 through 25 to you today. Luke 1, it's in your handout if you want to skim back there real quick. And, and I would ask you to turn up your divine curiosity and see if there's anything in this passage that jumps off the page that makes you ask a question of yourself that you find interesting. So here we go. Luke 1, 5 through 25. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Notice he didn't call her old. I'm just pointing out the scripture to you. He didn't call his wife old. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying... Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. There are four things I'm going to mention this morning as we walk through this passage. I need to unpack a couple of history things before we get into them. But the first thing is we're going to reconnect to community. It's, it's time to reconnect to community. You know, you are not the church. I am not the church. We are the church. The church is built up of many pieces that make one body. And, and it's sad to me that coming out of 2020, do you know there are still churches in this community, in Buncombe County, that are not meeting in person? Nineteen months later, they're still not meeting in person. And if anything 2020 taught us was we were created for fellowship, 
that we need each other. We were created to have interaction and to be with one another, that the church is meant to gather however we do that safely, but it's important that we gather because we, God made us uniquely, uh, undeveloped. We are not perfectly developed in every way. He left us a little incomplete that we would need one another, that we are to be interconnected with one another and interdependent upon each other. And 2020 taught us we were not meant to do life in solitude. And it's so wonderful being here. I was here, we were here in January where half the room were wearing masks and the other half were not wearing masks. And, and, and I was glad that today we're sitting here and we're able to look at each other in the face and talk to one another. But we were created for community. Now, as bad as 2020 was, and the gap of us being gone, this passage here is coming at the end of 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if we, when we finish the Old Testament, the Jews have come back from Babylon. We go on to the New Testament, and suddenly they're under Roman occupation. And the reason is because in between is 400 silent years. And why do we call that interbiblical period the silent years? Because we don't have any holy authorized scripture that was written during that time that's canonized in our Bible. We don't have prophets during that time saying, thus saith the Lord. There's this 400 year gap. And so when you look to the, when you look to Israel in the New Testament, where are the promises of God? Where is there a king sitting on the throne? Where are the prophets of old? Where is there any hope for the New Testament church? They're still going to the temple. They're doing the stuff. They're doing the stuff. But when an angel shows up, everybody's freaked out because nobody was expecting this to happen. In fact, this moment where Gabriel speaks to Zechariah, is the birth and the beginning of the New Testament where God once again is speaking, once again prophets are prophesying, once again Holy Scripture is being canonized. It, it, we you like to think about the New Testament as starting with Jesus, but, but then we have to go back to Mary, but then we have to go back to John and the Baptist, and then we go back all the way to this moment in the temple where God is reconnecting the New Testament church with every promise of the Old Testament. In fact, it talks about, it uses this. It says Aaron. They were of the, the tribe of Aaron. And, and, and it talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and John and Jesus. You have this whole lineage in this one chapter where God is not just telling the story of Zechariah. He's telling his story and how Zechariah plays a part in it. And sometimes a dream delayed is on purpose because it had to marinate a long time because John the Baptist was no ordinary person. Now, have you ever heard of the Essians before? The Essians are a group of people that existed in the inner biblical period of 400 years. And they were very pious and they were very devout. They, they thought that the, the priesthood was too liberal. They, they dropped out of society. They lived communal living, very strict rules and stuff. And, and they, many people believe the Essians, in fact, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were probably copied by the Essians. And many people believe that John the Baptist was raised by these Essians because it says he came out of the wilderness and he is wearing camel hair and eating locusts and honey. Dude was not pop culture at all. In fact, this may be for just one person, but sometimes your weird is the gift you're supposed to give the world. Can I say that again? 
Some of us don't fit very well in society, but sometimes your weird is your gift. I mean, think about this for a second. 400 years of silence. Where are the prophets? Where's their written scripture? Where's their king? 400 silent years. And when God decides to, to, to speak, he turns the volume all the way up to 10. And here comes John the Baptist walking on the scene. I, asked my, my, I was talking to my wife between the services, and she says, you know why the Bible says that John wasn't to drink? I said, why? She said, they already thought he was crazy. If he was drinking, they, they, they would think he was a drunk. They would discount it. Everything he said, they would discount it. He had to be sober to say some of the stuff he said. So here he comes on the scene. And we know back then that whenever a king would go into a new village, a herald would run ahead and would tell the village, get ready, the king's on the way, king's on the way, we got to get ready. And this scripture said that the people might be prepared. And here comes John the Baptist. He didn't have many friends on Facebook. There was nobody following him, dressing like him. His, his trendiness, his clothes never took off. Nobody started making camel hair, coats and sweaters and stuff. Here he comes and he's preaching a new message. Repent and be baptized. Repent, get clean, the Lord is coming. Repent and get ready. In fact, John the Baptist, the most staggering thing, Pastor Timothy, about John the Baptist is not that he prepared a stage for Jesus. But then when Jesus came, he stepped off the stage. I mean, I, I can't, that was his great gift to us, reconnecting to community. Here, here we have the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and God gives them a son that they've been wanting. But sometimes the gift that you want is bigger than you can even imagine. And John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament in the New Testament showing up, declaring the way of the Lord. And, and I told you that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all the story of Jesus, but by, written by different people for a different audience. You also are a gospel. You also are a good news. You also, Jesus is also the story of your life. And your story needs to be told too. And I just want, I, I want you to reconnect to the divine story of old. Every promise God had in the Old Testament. Everything from Genesis through the great Exodus, through the great kingdom of Israel. Today, that same story is being acted out by you and me in 2021 in Buncombe County. And we have something to say and something to do. I want to do something with my life. I want to do something significant. I want to make a contribution what gives me the greatest hope is knowing that the story has been going on for thousands of years and God is the only one that can weave that whole story together. We need to reconnect with our community. Number two is reconnect with dreams. Recon I, I, wonder, I wonder if Zechariah and Elizabeth had given up on their dream. You know, because because they were old in age, and they were like, "We're old. How's this? How does this happen? I mean, we're just too old." Have you ever noticed that God likes to use barren people to birth some very important people? He loves a virgin to give a Messiah. He he he. Lo I mean, Abraham and Sarah were too old. Zachariah and Elizabeth were too old. He loves a way to where we have no hope left, and then he shocks the world by giving a baby that it's significant that's going to be written into history. You, know, you think about it, Zechariah is not known for his ministry as a priest. We don't have anything about his ministry, how faith, you know, all the, all the, the things he taught and all the things he did. What we do know is in old age he had a son named John the Baptist that turned the world up on its head. We need to reconnect to our dreams. I don't know about you, but 2020 was really hard. 
2020 was very difficult for me. I'm an eternal optimist. Every day I get up and Disney birds are singing and stuff's wonderful and everything. Not 2020. I struggled with depression bad in 2020. Every day I'd wake up and see where my energy level was. A two. How do I get through today and not be at a one? How, how, every day it was a struggle. I, I have so much more empathy for people who struggle with depression and struggle with anxiety and fear uh, than I ever had before. The, the fight is real. It really is real. And, and, and there became a point where I had to move from surviving to getting back to thriving. I, there was a place where I had to reconnect and say, you know what? I survived. Now get up and go live your dream. Be who God's created you to be. But most Christians that I run into don't have a God dream. They don't have a dream that lights their fire every morning when they wake up. And so today I wanted to take a moment and just teach you how to find your God dream. Can I do that with you? Is that okay? All right. It's in Scripture. Okay, I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm, somebody said this, this, one of the sermons I heard this year, one of the preachers got up and said, I'm going to ask you to do something dangerous today. I'm going to ask you to believe the Word of God. And I thought, that's a good line. I want to use that one day. So Psalm 37.4, Psalm 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That does not mean that if you delight yourself in the Lord, you can... Ask for whatever you want, and he's going to give it to you. What this actually means is, if for you to delight yourself in the Lord, he will then transfer his desires from his heart into your heart, and you'll begin to desire what he desires for you. And I have found that most Christians don't spend enough time in delighting yourself in the Lord. We do spiritual things we, we, we come to church, we tithe, we do the stuff that we're supposed to do, but do we delight ourselves enough in the Lord until the desires of God's heart are transferred into our heart and now our passions and desires are to do what He wants for our life that we were perfectly created to do? And I just want to challenge you, if you don't have a God dream, if you can't write down on a piece of paper in a few minutes what your God dream is, I would challenge you to spend a little bit of time with the Lord, soaking in His presence through Bible reading, meditation, through worship, through prayer, through fasting. Spend a little time delighting yourself in the Lord and seeing what dreams might come out of His heart. I'll tell you the secret. I, I, I met an African pastor, and he, he just told me, he said, you don't pray enough. I said, how do you know? He said, because if you're a prayer warrior, you can smell if somebody else prays enough. I said, well, I pray over the food. He's like, I pray three hours every night from midnight to three in the morning. He says, you have too much responsibility to not be praying. So the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He says, I want you to go to the sanctuary for one hour a day for 40 days. And I want you to not take your Bible, and I want you to pray for an hour a day for 40 days. I said, an hour a day? What will I pray about? Plus, i got a lot of work to get done. God, God your kingdom's going to suffer with me in the sanctuary that much. I thought I was important. I prayed for 40 days. And I said, I did it. I'm done. He says, now give me two hours a day. I'm like, Lord, I can't pray for two hours a day. Let me tell you what happened. I prayed long enough that I experienced the delight of the Lord for me, not what I do. I prayed long enough 
that I felt his approval, his pleasure with me, that I didn't need to run to a to-do list or accomplish anything. I became addicted to his love and generosity, his pleasure for me, and prayer became easy for me because I had Papa's approval. In fact, I started calling him Papa instead of God. I had Papa's approval. Find your God dream by delighting yourself in the Lord and let something come up in your spirit that will drive you the rest of your days. Number three, reconnect to promises. Reconnect to a promise that God has made to you. There are, no promise of God is going to go unfulfilled, not one. And there are, there are general promises in this book, but there's also specific promises that God makes to his people. I had a woman in my church, and she came to me and she says, Nick, I've been praying for my son who's in drug addiction, in and out of jail, been addicted to drugs for five years. And she says, the Lord has promised me his deliverance. He has promised me his deliverance. I said, that is wonderful. I can come into agreement with you. And then he get arrested again. He ended up, you know, he's still in drugs and was having a hard time. And one day she came back to me and she says, I just had a talk with the Lord and now I'm free. And I said, What's, what happened? She said, the Lord told me, he promised me that he would deliver my son. And I said, well, Lord, I've been bitter this last five years because I keep watching him in addiction. But you made me a promise. And she said, Holy Spirit, whisper me, I never promised it happened in your lifetime. And she said, oh my gosh, I thought my son would get delivered because of my prayers for him. But when the Lord said that to me, I realized God is more serious about his deliverance than I am. And I could even pass on and go be with the Lord. And he'll take care of my son and he'll make sure all right. I said, that's a word from the Lord. That's a word from the Lord right now. You can be at peace knowing God's going to take care of that kid. Don't you know within one year that young man met Jesus Christ and he became the savior of his life. He broke addiction off of that guy's life. And that guy today is a peer support specialist that travels all around Western North Carolina helping other people get free from drugs. That's how good our God is. He makes a promise and he comes through with it. Now, if you remember in the story of Elijah, when he, he after Mount Carmel, Elijah goes up on a mountain and he starts praying for rain. You remember that passage? And he sends his servant out and his servant runs down and he comes back and says, nope, it's, nothing's happening. And Elijah says, nothing is impossible for God. Okay? Now, we've heard that preached a hundred times, which means that that anything is possible for with God, right? That's how we've heard it preached. Nothing is impossible equals anything is possible with God, right? But let's go back and look at it a different way. Nothing is impossible. If God's made you a promise, the state of nothing is not possible. If he has spoken something, he's working on it right now. Nothing can happen if God speaks something, something's going to move. He is faithful and true to his word. You notice in this passage it says, your prayers have been heard. Well, I'm here to tell you, some of you all out there, your prayers may not be answered, but they've been heard. And if they've been heard, he's working on something right now. Nothing is impossible in your life. Something is moving behind the scenes. Even in the 400 years that Holy Scriptures, that something, nothing was said, there were still amazing things that happened in those 400 years to advance the gospel. You may not hear him and you may not see him, but I promise you nothing is impossible when God's already spoken and made a promise to you. 
I, I told first service that, that there's a story of an older lady, and she received a young guy as a, as a visitor, and she asked him, would you like some coffee? And he said, yeah. She said, I'll go get some coffee and get some pastries. And so he was left alone in the living room, and on the living room table, on the counter, on the coffee table, was this huge family Bible, huge family Bible. And he cracked it open, and he saw next to this passage, it said T and P. And he turned the page, and it said T and P. And he started flipping through this Bible, and he kept finding T and P all throughout the Bible. So the lady comes back in with the coffee and the pastries, and he says to her, so I hope I didn't you know, intrude too much, but I went ahead and went and looked at your family Bible, and, and I couldn't help but see that periodically throughout the Bible it says T and P. Can you tell me what that means? And she said, son, every passage that you see T and P means tried and proven. It's something that I have tried the Lord on and proven he is faithful. If he makes a promise to you, it is tried and proven. It will come to pass. And some of us re- need to reconnect. See, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about a, a victorious overcoming church. I know there's Christians out there just waiting for Jesus to come back and rescue us right before we blow up the world. I, I get that. That's not me. I believe Jesus deserves better than that. I believe Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle. I believe he's coming back for a church that's overcoming. I believe he's coming back for a church that's demonstrating the power of God, the victory of God, the hope and faith of God, and that the world will see. He's waiting for a great harvest to happen. That harvest is going to happen because of people like you and me who are not perfect but do powerful things, and people are like, how did they ever do that? And God will get to glory. Every promise of God is going to come to pass. It's impossible for it not to. And the last thing, the fourth thing, is to reconnect to, sorry, reconnect to our purpose. I, I, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted when I read this passage, when I see Zechariah. It says that they were good and devout, yet being good and devout was not enough. I want you to hear this. It's important that you show up and do the things you know to do while you're waiting for God to do the things you can't do. I was talking to an entrepreneur lately, and and he said it's 80% method and 20% miracle. It's 80% method and 20% miracle. Zechariah and Elizabeth were showing up and doing what they knew to do, but being devout and being good did not produce the miracle. Only God could release the miracle. And, and we've got to, but we have to understand our purpose. And our purpose for Zechariah was not just to be a priest. It was to bless the world with John the Baptist. His purpose was bigger than he even thought it could be. There's, there's a, a local artist. My wife's an artist. She's an oil painter and she's a watercolor. She's the color to my black and white world. And, um, and, and so she, she, said, she has a good friend, Matt Tommy, who's, who's a Buncombe County artist. And he says this, he says, you know, it's important as an artist to learn the techniques that work for all artists. It's important there are certain techniques that you want to, you want to master to create your artwork. But when you develop those things, you need to get off of that a little bit and find your unique expression. You don't want to be an artist like everyone else. You don't want to copy their art. There are things you have to learn, but then you get to a place where you as a unique human being have something to offer the world that's different from everybody else. So as an artist, you've got to find that uniqueness. But the process is not done. When you find that uniqueness, then you give it to the marketplace, And you let the marketplace mirror back to you 
what sells, what doesn't sell, what they find beautiful, what they don't find as beautiful. There is this engagement with culture and community that helps you refine your uniqueness and your brilliance if, as an artist, you're willing to turn it over. And, and, and it's interesting because one of my Methodist pastor friends, he preaches in six different churches over a six-week period. He preaches the same sermon. And I said, does that ever get old or boring? I mean, do you, how do you get inspired, you know, every week preaching the same sermon? And he said the crowd is different every time. So there's always this different interaction of what's happening between me and the crowd that makes each sermon uniquely different, even though the outline is the same thing. We were created to connect with each other. Because without each other, we can't know each other's brilliance. How will you know your brilliance unless somebody else speaks it back to you? I just got back from Thanksgiving, and we visited my younger sister, Mariah. And, and there's like 25 people in the house, kids running everywhere for three or four days. I mean, I would literally go in a room and close the doors just to try to catch my breath a little bit. And, and Mariah said, I would rather have this than to have to drive one mile to go to somebody else's house for Thanksgiving. And I said, you're a saint. You are a saint. We, we break stuff. We eat all her food. We, we, we mess things up. And she delights in all of us coming to her house and destroying things and making noise and upsetting the neighbors and all that. She loves it. I don't want any of them to come to my house. None of them. I am delighted to drive down there and help pay for food because I don't want them to come to my house. But that's a gift she has of hospitality. It's given by God. And without someone looking at her and saying, you understand most people are not built like that, that's a unique gift you have. We had two people this year that were not family members that came, but she makes them feel like family members. She made them feel at home. This is your home. Make yourself at home. Go get in the refrigerator. And it's a unique gift. There are some things about our brilliance we don't get to see unless somebody shares them back with us. There's other things that also that we need, and that's like, like patience. I can't develop patience by myself. I, I need at least one crazy person in my life that drives me bonkers for me to figure out how to have patience, right? So we, get, we have to reconnect as a church, but we have to reconnect with our own dreams and the promises that God has given us and to find our purpose. And you cannot find your purpose in a, in, in a, in a vacuum. It, it's going to exist when you're around other people and they're like, hey, why don't we get so-and-so to do that? They're great at that. And they may have never been told that before. But we, we are many parts but one body. We were created to need each other. We were created to thrive when we're together. And when we do it, as kingdom people, not needing the credit, and Holy Spirit comes upon our gathering, we will literally shock the world, and the world will get a picture of our God that they've never seen before. What's crazy in this story is that Zechariah, you couldn't tell Zechariah's story without going back and seeing how God had set everything up for this divine moment. Well, I hope if you look at your life, you realize that God was as meticulous with creating you and having a plan for your life as he was for Zechariah, as he was for Elizabeth, as he was for John the Baptist. You're written into the story too. You have a purpose that nobody else can fulfill on this earth. And it's time to reconnect to the power of God and the power of community in each other and see what God does in this, this season. I can tell you this, after 2020, the world's asking questions they didn't ask before. 
Now it's time for the church to be the answer they weren't being before. It's time for us to rise up and be the bride of Christ. Papa, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you that none of us in this room are redundant, that we were created in the image of God, that you surround us with family and friends to help bring out our brilliance, that, Lord, that you are refining us to live the dream, to overcome and to be that that victorious church that we read about in the Word of God. Let us be the answer to the questions our community is asking us. And when they ask, let let us give them love. Let us give them power. Let us give them victory. We thank you for this and for our role in the story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.